captain of, of a hundred troops. So there came to him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the church being Gentiles as well as Jews. But the children of the kingdom... Here he's talking about the Jews shall be cast out into outer darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto you. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Now, folks, I want you to realize something. The thing that changed this man from just having faith in Jesus' eyes to having great faith was his recognition and his understanding of authority. He understood that Jesus had authority over sickness and disease. He understood that authority is exercised or utilized by speaking words. But do you know what's missing from this story? The thing that's missing from this story is whether or not the man believed that Jesus had authority over sickness and disease because he was the son of God or if mankind was given authority over sickness and disease. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We want to start in verse 27. Speaking of Jesus' ministry, it said, And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there came to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and said unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? Now these things he's talking about are the miracles and uh, the signs and the wonders that Jesus did. But it would have to include the healing miracles as well, wouldn't it? So when they're trying to find out about Jesus' authority, they want to know what the source of it is. They recognize that he has authority. You couldn't do the things that he does except that he had authority. But where did it come from and who gave it to him? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question. You answer me and then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Here's his question. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of men, they feared the people for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. And Jesus answering said unto them, neither do I tell you. By what authority I do these things? Well, let's answer Jesus' question. They didn't get an answer because they refused to, to answer him. They were afraid of what uh, they were afraid of being in either position regarding John's baptism and John's ministry. So when Jesus asked the question, let's see if we can answer it. Where did John's ministry come from? Where did John's baptism of repentance come from? Well, if you remember over in Acts chapter 19, it tells us about how when Paul went to Ephesus the first time, 
And while he was there, he went down to where the women were washing clothes. And he preached Jesus to them. And, well, actually it says he found certain disciples there. And he assumed that they were saved. He assumed that they were born again. And so he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we don't know anything about the Holy Ghost. What's that? And then he recognizes that they must not have heard the gospel of Jesus. So he asked them. He said, under what are you baptized? They said, under John. John the Baptist, the same one Jesus is asking the question about here of the Pharisees. And so Paul explains to the people, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance. Now, the baptism of repentance is what John identified that, or what Paul identified that John's ministry was about. Who is the baptism of repentance from? It's not God that repents, is it? The baptism of repentance, is it of God or is it of man? It's of man. Well, then why was John so favored? Why was the hand of God upon John to such a great degree? Because he's preaching the baptism of repentance at the direction of the Holy Ghost. So we'd have to conclude that Jesus' answer, or the answer that Jesus, and the answer to the question that Jesus asked, the bad, baptism of John, was it of men or was it of God? It was of men, a man, anointed of God. Jesus is using this as an example of his own authority. Why was Jesus anointed? Why did Jesus have authority in the case of the centurion, but in every other case of authority over sickness too? How did Jesus have that authority? Because he was a man anointed of the Holy Ghost or anointed of God. Now let me prove this to you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 tells us after Jesus has preached the Sermon on the Mount, he ends the teaching with talking about being a doer of the word so that the storms of life won't cause you to fall. We'll pick up the, the, uh, the reading in verse 28, Matthew 7, verse 28. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, folks, I want you to notice a couple of things about this. We've talked about this in times past. But this is one of the most revealing scriptures to me about the ministry of Jesus that I'm aware of in, in uh, the entirety of scripture. I want you to notice in verse 28 it says they were astonished at his doctrine. It does not say that they were astonished at him. It does not say they were astonished at his power. It says they were astonished at his doctrine. Now the word doctrine here means teaching. Well what kind of teaching did Jesus do that made everybody to be astonished? Notice in verse 29 it tells us it says, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, folks, notice that the word one is in italics. That means the translators added it, trying to help us in our understanding. In most cases, the things that they add are really good. In this one, they missed it a mile. It literally says, Jesus taught them as, have, as one, I'm sorry, he taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. The words as having means mean literally how to hold so if we insert that definition for he taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes now folks think about this if they're astonished at jesus because of the display of his power then the holy ghost missed it or matthew missed it by saying that people were astonished at his doctrine 
He taught them. If we look back at the original Greek, as we've just identified, if that's accurate and if that's true, and thank God it is, what they were astonished at is the teaching that he did. And that teaching was very simply, he taught that man had authority on the earth. Now, folks, that shouldn't be a surprise to us. I'm afraid for too many of us it is. But it shouldn't be a surprise to us because the Bible tells us even in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, after God made the, the heavens and the earth and filled the earth and everything that was made, he came to the place where he's about to make man. And in Genesis 1:26, he said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let him, mankind, let man have dominion over all the works of our hands. In other words, God created man for one purpose. And the only stated purpose that there is, is here in Genesis 1.26, he made man to have authority on the earth. Now man lost a measure of that authority through the deception of the enemy. But remember even in the Old Testament it talked about choosing good over evil. One place in the Old Testament says, I set before you this day life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Well, if man has lost all of his authority, how can he choose anything? If man has lost all of his authority and Satan is the God of this world to such a degree that he's controlling things, then what good would it do for man to attempt to choose good? You know as well as I do that there were kings in Israel. Some were good. Most were evil. How? We know very specifically that Satan is the God of this world. We know that he's a ruler over the prince. He, uh, he is the prince of the power of the air. He rules over this world system. We see several cases and several examples of where evil spirits are behind the scenes in governments and behind government leaders, directing and influencing them to do things contrary to the will of God. Well, if Satan is in control, if he's running things, then how could there ever have been a good king? Would they not just be forced into what the devil wanted them to do? Folks, I think we, meaning the church world, has bought into a bill of goods that doesn't belong to us. We've bought into the devil's lie that he's in charge. He's controlling things. But doesn't the Bible say that he's the God of this world? Yeah, I believe that's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. But there are three words that are used throughout Scripture to refer to the world. One means the physical planet. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That word earth literally means the planet is God's. Well, we know that has to be true because God created it. There's another word that's used that means world system. This is a world that's primarily used in the New Testament. And it tells us that this world system or the spirit of the world is under the influence of the devil. Jesus said it this way. He said the world, the whole world is in darkness. That word world means the world system. But that's not the word that's used in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The word that's used in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 is the rarest of words of the three words that are used talking about the, the earth. And it simply means this age. It simply means a period of time. Satan is not the, world, not the God of the planet. He's not even the God of this world system. When man fell, it, the world system didn't change. 
See, if the world system had changed, then all the physical laws of nature would have been out the window. There would be no gravity. There would be nothing that God created as a part of the uh, creative works, the account of creation in Genesis chapter 1. The world system would have changed anything and everything, but it didn't. It just simply changed man. It changed the nature of mankind. So when the Bible says Satan is the God of this world, it's not saying that he's the God forever. He's not saying he's the God of this world system or the God of the planet. It's simply saying he has power and influence for a time. But thank God that time's running out. You remember one of the first times that it tells us about Jesus coming upon somebody that was demon-possessed. They cried out and said, We know who thou art, thou son of God. Have you come to torment us before the time? See, the devil knows there's a time. Evil spirits know their time's running out. And it tickles me to realize that the first story that the Bible tells us about that Jesus encountered the devil, the first thing on the devil or the evil spirit's mind is the time where he'll be judged. It seems to be first and foremost on their minds that their time is coming to an end. I like to think like that, don't you? So if the devil is the God of this world or God for this time, this age that we're in, what does that mean? How does he operate? Well, we know the only road that he travels is the road to deception. That's why the Bible tells us to be aware of the wiles of the devil. Be conscious of the way the devil operates. It literally means there's one road that the devil travels, and that one road is deception. He tries to hide from you that which Jesus has done for each one of us. Because since man has authority, and God said he made man for the purpose of having authority, God never changes, so his purpose never changes. If God made man to have authority, then who, including the devil, is big enough to take that authority away? He didn't even, get, he didn't even strip Adam and Eve of their authority or force them to use their authority in an unproductive manner. He had to deceive them. And Satan had to take a physical form in order to even interact with Adam and Eve. That becomes so important to understand. So what's the devil's operation? What's the way that he operates? He deceives mankind. How does he control governments? By deceiving the people that are in charge. By deceiving the earth's rulers. He deceives them into working contrary to even their best interests, their own personal best interests, because following God would always be better for them than taking a different path. So the devil has to influence people, has to deceive them so that he can influence them. Because man was given authority, never lost that authority, and still has authority today. Now turn, let's prove that. Turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 beginning in verse 26 I believe it is. It says, for as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself and has given him, the Son, God gave Jesus, the Son, authority to execute judgment also because he's the Son of Man. Because he's the Son of Man. You remember John chapter 10 where Jesus talked about the thief comes not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. You remember that passage, uh, passage of Scripture? It's tied on to Jesus talking about being the shepherd of the sheepfold. 
Actually, let me read this rather than so I don't miss anything that's important. I'm going to turn to John chapter 10. Beginning in verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is the thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and shall the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his sheep, his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers." Now, Jesus is talking about entry into this world. He's saying, I was born of a woman. That makes me the shepherd of the sheep. Why would that be? Because God gave man authority on the earth. He didn't give angels authority on the earth. Angels have opportunities to carry out the will and the plan and the purpose of God on our behalf when we put them to work. And certainly there are acts of God and different moves of God that the angels work hand in hand with God to bring about. But Jesus is talking about the devil being the thief. He says the reason the devil's a thief is because he didn't enter into the sheepfold in the proper manner. What is the proper manner to enter into the sheepfold? Well, remember in John chapter 3 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus who came by night because he was afraid of the Pharisees. Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born of water, that's natural birth, and of the Spirit... He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So what is John 5, 26 telling us? John 5, 26 is telling us Jesus had authority because he had a human body. Without that human body, he would not have been able to exercise authority and judgment on the earth. Now, who did he judge or what did he judge? The Bible said he judged spiritual death. The Bible says he judged Satan. The Bible says that he destroyed the works of the devil and the way that he did that was by passing judgment on that which was contrary to the plan and the purpose of God, God's original purpose, God's plan for man. So Jesus had authority not because he was the son of God. The Bible says he laid that aside before he ever came to the earth. The Bible says Jesus stripped himself. It's, it reads like this in Philippians. It says he made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant. What that literally means is he stripped himself of the heavenly power that he had as the son of God. And came to earth as a human being. See Jesus wasn't half God and half man. He was all God and all man. But in order to operate here on the earth. Because it's the way God established the system to work. He had to take a human form on himself. And so he did. And so what is Jesus teaching? Again, why are the people astonished at his teaching? Because he taught them that man still had authority. He taught them how to exercise authority. That's why when the centurion comes along and identifies his understanding of authority and the fact that authority is exercised or utilized or put to work through words, Jesus says, finally, somebody gets it. He marvels at his great faith. He marvels at the fact that the, the centurion knows that Jesus has authority. Now, we don't know why he thought he had authority. We don't know if it was because he thought Jesus was the Messiah. We don't even know if the centurion knew enough to know about that there would be a Messiah. But we do, do know that he recognized that Jesus had authority over sickness and disease. So he simply says, speak the word. 
exercise your authority over sickness and disease through the spoken word. That's enough. You don't have to come to my house. And Jesus marvels because of this man's great faith. Now I want you to look with me to some other scripture. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now we can go on reading. We won't take the time, but we could go on reading and and it would reveal to us that he says anybody that will receive you, anybody that will accept the ministry and the teaching that I've instructed you, the preaching of the kingdom of God, those people are in line not only to be healed, but to understand that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Look at chapter 10. He tells the 70 pretty much the same thing. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where he himself would come. Skip down a little bit to verse 9. Well, verse 8. And into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you. That means believe what you're saying is true. Eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Now the word nigh means near. So he's talking about time. He's saying the kingdom of God has almost come. Now they didn't know what controlled or governed the kingdom of God, but they had to know of a certainty that the kingdom of God included healing for the sick. The kingdom of God had to include healing for the sick because that's what Jesus told them to preach. And to those that would receive it or accept it, they were in line or they were candidates to be healed, to receive their healing. Now, folks, the only definition we have of the kingdom of God is what Jesus gave during what the church world calls the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, it identifies the Lord's Prayer It goes something like this. He said, after this manner pray ye. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, in the strictest sense, the kingdom of God is that that place, that realm which God rules. That realm which God rules. We could say, to paraphrase that, It means the kingdom of God is where the will of God is done on the earth or when the will of God is done on the earth, just like it is in heaven. Now, folks, God must want that because Jesus said to pray for it. It would be impossible for Jesus to be a worthy sacrifice or substitute for you and me if he lied about what God wants. If he's instructing his disciples to pray contrary to the will and the plan and the purpose of God, Jesus would be a sinner. So the fact that he tells the disciples to pray according to the kingdom of God or pray that the kingdom of God would come tells us that that was God's plan all along. We know that plan was fulfilled because in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, instead of quoting this, let me get, turn over there so you can see it as well. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Who, speaking of Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness, that's Satan's power, that's Satan's kingdom, And has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So the kingdom of God being near. Which was identified by the disciples. Both the twelve and the seventy. Preaching and healing the sick. That kingdom that was close. 
has now been obtained by the work and the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. By his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, folks, I want you to think some things through with me. If Jesus had authority because he was the son of God, or if Jesus healed the sick because he was the son of God, how could he delegate that authority to either the 12 or the 70? They weren't children of God. If Jesus' righteousness, which was really the only thing that set him apart from mankind, the rest of mankind, because of the virgin birth, if Jesus obtained his human body through or because of righteousness, well, there was nobody else on the earth that was righteous. So how could anybody else heal the sick? Even if Jesus wanted it to work that way, if his healing power was only because he was the son of God, then nobody else would qualify. Nobody else could do anything. Nobody else would be able to do the miraculous works, including healing the sick, that Jesus did. But if Jesus taught, if his doctrine was that man had authority, and if his authority was because he was the son of man, as John 5, 26 tells us very specifically, if him being a human being, having an earthly body, was what qualified him to be anointed of God and to do the works of God to show us what the kingdom of God was all about, then anybody Jesus did delegate that authority to would be eligible to do the same works that he did. You understand what I'm saying? There's one other scripture that's the closer for me. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Look at verse 49. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in your name, and we forbade him because he followed not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. Now, folks, who are these two guys that were using the name of Jesus to cast out devils? We know they weren't part of the 12 because John thought that they had a special place because they were Jesus' disciples. They were part of the ones that he handpicked. So John's concern is that since he doesn't follow us, since he's not part of our group, what is he doing trying to exercise divine power? Successfully, apparently. And what did Jesus say? Jesus did not say, no, guys, you're mistaken. He's running a con on everybody, including you, because nobody else can have that power or authority that, except for me because I'm the son of God. But that's not what he said. Jesus didn't even seem surprised that somebody else was doing it. Now, realize what they are doing. They are exercising authority because they're human beings who have put their trust in God in some form or manner. It's the fact that they are human beings with earthly bodies that enabled them to exercise the authority that Jesus obviously showed us and showed them was available to mankind. Now, what if, and I'm just speculating on this, I'm just trying to stir your thinking up a little bit. What if these two people in John chapter 9 that John is trying to keep from using 
the name of Jesus because they're not part of his company, their company, not part of the 12 or the 70. If those people were ones that heard what Jesus taught and were astonished as Mark chapter 7 verses 28 and 29 identify, what if they were two people that heard that Jesus was teaching and put themselves in a place to hear his teaching that man has authority over the works of the devil? What would keep them from going out and using that name of Jesus and getting the same results or getting the results that the Bible says they got? Folks, I, I tell you, over the last several years, the Holy Ghost has just upended my theology. And any theology that can be upended, it's a good thing to upend it. Because I always thought that Jesus went out preaching that he was the son of God. I always thought that Jesus told the disciples to go tell people that I'm the Messiah. And people that would hear that or receive that, then you could heal their sick. But how in the world would that be possible? Jesus upbraided the disciples even after he was resurrected because of their unbelief. Because of the fact that they didn't believe and act on what Jesus said. How could he trust the, the, the 12 or the 70 to go out and preach the right stuff. How many times did Jesus come to the place where he said, I've got many things to say to you, but you can't handle it now? That speaks to maturity or immaturity, doesn't it? So you're going to put in the hands the fate of the world and the world's understanding of the Messiah? You're going to put that in the hands of people that don't even believe what they're hearing from Jesus? But when I saw that Jesus sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. And folks, the kingdom of God is very simple. It's where the will of God is done on the earth just like it is in heaven. He sent the 12, he sent the 70 to tell people, to proclaim, to declare that God wants the same things for you here and now on the earth that he will want and has provided for you when you get to heaven. You know, anytime I start talking along this line, I always have to make this point. But in 30 some odd years of pastoring this church, almost 33 now, of all those years pastoring, I can't remember but maybe a couple of times where anybody has questioned me about heaven. And most of those times have to do with women that were widowed and they want to know, am I going to live together with my husband when I get to heaven type stuff. But outside of that, who asks questions about heaven? Does anybody have to ask whether or not there's sickness and disease in heaven? We know heaven would be off limits to that because it's not of God, it's of the devil. Is there anything in heaven that can make somebody sad or sorrowful or bring harm or hurt in any way whatsoever? No, that's why it's called heaven. Because it's a place where only good is. It's a place where only God interacts with his people and brings them into a state of existence where every goodness of God abounds. And folks, I would submit to you that that's the same way that he created the earth. Before Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, this was, this place was just like heaven. It was patterned after heaven. The same goodness of God was seen here on the earth as what we will see in heaven. And until sin 
and spiritual death took over and gained a place, an entry into this realm and into this kingdom that God created, that God gave man authority over. Until sin and sickness, or until sin and disease, spiritual death, I, I should say, until sin and spiritual death raised its ugly head. Everything on the earth was just as good as things are in heaven. So why should it be strange to us that Jesus came to restore the kingdom of God on the earth? Not to remove the devil, but through the understanding of his family, his people. Those of us that enter into his family through the new birth. The recreated human spirit inhabiting flesh. That's who God intended for from the beginning to have authority on the earth. Now here's another question for you. If the disciples could wield this authority, utilize this power because Jesus delegated it to them. If the 70 could utilize this power, remember after Jesus sent them out, they came back in verse 17, Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And they were astonished because they said, Lord, even the devils are subject to us in your name. Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Well, he didn't fall as lightning from heaven when the disciples started using his name. He fell from heaven after God sent him out and ended his rebellion. And then he said, behold, I give unto you authority. To tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's Luke 10, 19. What is he saying? He's saying because Satan was defeated. Again, he was defeated long before man was ever created. But he's saying because Satan is a defeated foe. Even though he wields influence through deception. And that's the only way he can work. Even though he yields influence through this earth or in this earth through deception. He's saying my original plan, God's original plan for man to have authority is still in effect and will never change until Jesus comes back for us. So what did the, the centurion know? The centurion recognized that Jesus had authority. What do we know? We know that all authority has been given unto us as children of God, part of God's family through the new birth. We know that the same authority over sickness and disease has been given to us just like it was given to Jesus, just like Jesus delegated it to the 12, just like Jesus delegated it to the 70, and just like these two guys that we don't know where they came from or how they came to the knowledge of Jesus or the power in his name. But they recognized because man was originally given authority, because God never changes his mind, because God never changes his plan or purpose, if it was in, ever in his desire for man to have authority on the earth, which Genesis 126 tells us it was, then man will always have authority here on the earth. Now, if that's true, thank God it is. Let's say it this way. Since that's true, what keeps mankind from exercising authority over the enemy? By and large, it's ignorance. By and large, it's a lack of knowledge of who God created us to be. We have to realize, we have to understand, and I certainly believe that we need to meditate on the fact that Jesus came to restore things to the place where they were at the beginning, where God and his family 
are bringing about the will, his will, his plan, his purpose on the earth, even in the midst of the devil trying to yield, wield influence over mankind. And Jesus marveled at the centurion's great faith. He marveled at the fact that he recognized that Jesus had authority. He marveled at the fact that he recognized, the centurion recognized that authority was released through words. Folks, that should be second nature to us. It should not cause astonishment to heaven in any way whatsoever. It should be that which we take as the beginning stones of the foundation that we are children of God and a part of his family. But unfortunately, too much wrong teaching, too much wrong speaking, too much wrong believing has created in the modern day church this idea that God has authority on the earth. Well, let's consider that for a minute. How did he get it? Did he take it back from man? That would make him an Indian giver, wouldn't it? That would mean he does change. Even though he said, I'm God, I change not. See, folks, God never intended for man to lose his authority in any way whatsoever. And the, the fact is, the devil's not strong enough to take it from man because God gave it to him. But the devil has done a bang-up job deceiving the, earth, deceiving the church into thinking they don't have power and they don't have authority to use the power of God here in this time. But none of that negates the fact that you and I, by the original plan and purpose of God, have been given authority over this earth. And that's why Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also in greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. See, folks, that would be impossible if we didn't have the same authority that he had while he was here on the earth. How are you going to do the same works that Jesus did? Now, I know some people will try to spiritualize this and say, well, we do greater works because we can get people saved. Okay, even if that is true, that doesn't change the fact that Jesus said we'd do the same works that he did. What works did he do? He taught on the kingdom of God. He preached the kingdom of God. He preached that it was the will of God for things to be for his family here on the earth just like they are in heaven. He healed the sick and he cast out devils. How can we escape that truth? Even if we try to spiritualize it and say it has to do with bringing people into the family of God. We can get people saved when Jesus couldn't. Not because we're better than him, but because his sacrifice had not yet been made when he was here. But that still doesn't change the fact Jesus said we'd do the same works too. How are we going to do the same works? Because we have the same authority on the earth that Jesus had. I understand how that sounds. That's too much for a lot of people to swallow. But if that's the case for you, let me suggest that you chew on it a little while at least. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Because these are the words of Jesus. The works that I do shall you do also. And even greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. Folks, if we put everything together that Jesus talked about regarding authority and God's will for man, we come to the unescapable conclusion that God intends for us to do the same things Jesus did here on the earth because Jesus has executed judgment on Satan He's executed judgment on sin. He's executed judgment on 
spiritual death and open the door wide for us to be born again and to be carriers of the power of God. To exercise through our use of authority, through words just like the centurion understood, through the words that we speak, we have a right to expect the same miraculous results that Jesus had working in himself while he was here on the earth. There's no other way that we can cut it. There's no other way that we can rationalize or understand this truth unless we just come to the point which so much of the church world has done now and say, well, that can't be true, so they just dismissed it out of hand. But Jesus left us his name. He left us the word of God to teach us about who he is and who we are, to reveal to us what he did and why he did it so that we can do the same works that he did. We've been translated into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a geographic location. It's not bounded by lines on a map. The kingdom of God is the whole earth because God intends for all the earth to be dominated by mankind through the word of God and in the name of Jesus. That's always his purpose and it always will be his purpose. You've got everything you will ever need to do the works of Jesus in your own life. There's not one thing lacking for any of us. The Bible talks about over and over again that we've been made complete. King James um, translates that a couple of times as we've been made perfect in him. It just means we've been made complete. That means whatever situation you're in or whatever situation I'm in, whatever trouble we're facing, we have everything that we need to defeat that trouble now. We don't need one more thing. There is not one more thing because God gave us everything through Jesus. There's not one more thing lacking. There will never be one thing lacking. We have now already through the new birth, through entering into God's family, we have already everything that we will ever need to defeat the devil in our own lives. That may sound too good to, to some to be true, but it is true. So let's do this. Let's stand up on our feet and let's lift our hands to the Lord and thank him for what he's done for us. If there's something in your life that you need to exercise authority in the name of Jesus over, take care of that right now. Father, we bless you. We love you. We magnify your holy name. Thank you that we've been made perfect in Christ Jesus. We're new creatures in him through the new birth. We've been made righteous through his being made sin. We've been healed by his stripes. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. So we thank you, Father, that we are complete in him. We thank you, Father, that we have every bit of power, every bit of authority that we will ever need to keep the devil from dominating us, to destroy the works of the devil in our own lives. So, Father, we speak healing in Jesus' name. We speak financial restoration in Jesus' name. We speak life in Jesus' name. We speak victory in Jesus' name. 
We declare that we are more than conquerors. Not when we get to heaven, but now. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because of Jesus' substitution for us, because he was our substitute, we are now made the righteousness of God. Our righteousness is of you, Father. So, Satan, we break your power over our finances. We break your power over our bodies. We claim healing. We claim restoration in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Folks, you're the one with authority. So many times the church seems to be praying for God to take authority over stuff. And God doesn't have authority here. He's delegated that to you. When Jesus said, go into all the world, well, he said, all authority is given unto me, both in heaven and earth. He's telling mankind, you take care of things on the earth, I'll take care of things in heaven. But it's the same authority. The very same authority. Say it with me. I have authority over all the works of the devil. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.